Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Before we go back to Genesis, turn with me to Luke chapter 16 for a moment. Luke chapter 16. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was the Transformers. More than meets the eye. And uh, I loved the cartoon. I loved the toys. I couldn't hardly afford many of the toys. I only had a few actual of the Transformer toys. But uh, the premise and... uh, sure if you have kids grandkids even if you didn't watch when you were a kid with the movies that have come back out you've you've seen the transformers the premise is that they are these good robots and bad robots that are disguised as everyday ordinary vehicles well some of them are maybe a little bit more extraordinary vehicles military aircraft those kind of things but some of the coolest of the autobots are just trucks and cars and everyday vehicles, but they hide something inside, some of which is good if they're the Autobots, or it is very, very bad if they're the Decepticons. Now, they both are being deceptive, but it's the Decepticons that are deceptive for e- an evil purpose. And uh, sort of a silly illustration, I guess, but we need to remember when we go through this world, we're not talking about vehicles that may be more than meets the eye, but oftentimes people are more than meets the eye. Even sometimes people that we know in a casual way, uh, sometimes we don't know people as well as we think that we do. Some people make a very good first impression. Some people like Laban, who when Jacob first met him, he thought he was going to be the uncle who became the father he never had, and instead he became the enemy that he never wanted. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16, a group who on the outside in the Jewish culture appeared to be righteous men, to be holy men of God. And yet Jesus said to them, uh, speaking in verse 14 of Luke 16, the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him And he said unto them in verse 15, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. Beware of the praise of men, particularly the praise of the world, the praise of unrighteous men. The Pharisees were covetous of things, they were covetous of praise, they were covetous of status, and while they prided themselves on their righteousness, Jesus would say of them in Isaiah, and warn us as well, that our self-righteousness in God's eyes is as filthy rags. God isn't looking at the outward appearance, as he told Samuel. Remember when he sent Samuel 
to the house of Jesse to find the next king. And when he saw Jesse's firstborn, even the prophet Samuel was deceived by the first impression. But God said, Samuel, there's more than meets the eye here. You're looking at the outward appearance. You're looking at the personality, at the charm. You remember in Proverbs 31, the writer of Proverbs 31 says that charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Don't just look at a woman's physical beauty, guys, but also don't just look at her personality because that can be deceptive as well. We need to look for the inner person, the inner heart. That's how God sees us. God sees our hearts. And He wants us to be discerning as well. And God will reward us according to our hearts. Now, sometimes those consequences, sometimes the fruit of what we are sowing doesn't appear right away. In fact, most of the time, a harvest takes time before it really shows itself. And so there are times when it can appear like people are being blessed and people are being rewarded and people are being, um, uh, they're benefiting from deception. They're benefiting from tricking people, from using, manipulating people. But God knows the heart. God sees everything. And with that reminder, let us go back now to Genesis chapter 31 and finish what we started last week as we look at Jacob building a house of faith and a new covenant that he makes with his uncle turned enemy turned father-in-law and how God was working in the trials to bless Jacob and to discipline Laban. Joseph was uh, 20 years out from his initial agreement to work from, uh, for his uncle, for Rachel, who then, lo and behold, became Leah, who then he worked another seven years to get Rachel, and then he worked another uh, a period of time, six years, to, uh, to, say, uh, to pacify his manipulative father-in-law, who insisted that he not leave and there may have been some intimidation there as well some reading between the lines that he really wasn't ready to let him leave and so he makes this agreement and Jacob agrees to it and God begins to bless Jacob last week though in verses one through two and uh, last week we did a lot of review but we were really kind of digging a little deeper into some of these things that we had touched upon before but hadn't really um, uh, unpacked but we looked at the sons of Laban in verses 1 and 2 and how they had inherited their father's greed, their father's narcissism. They had inherited it, his uh, bitter spirit. And then they began to spread that bitterness right back to their father. If you have kids, you know, somebody gets sick, it's going to make the rounds. And if it makes the rounds long enough, it's coming back to you, right? It's coming back to you. And so that's what's happening here in the spiritual realm. Laban has infected his own sons with his wicked spirit, and now they're infecting his heart. And we look then at the God of Bethel and how God reveals Himself to Jacob and reminds him of the promise that 
he had made to Jacob and that Jacob had made to him and reveals to Jacob that it's his work, God's work, not Jacob's that has caused all of this bounty and all of this blessing and that God has seen everything that was going on. God has seen the trials, but he allowed them for his purpose. He intervenes at his time, not at our time, and that he reminds us in and sometimes, yes, through those trials that he is faithful to keep all of his promises to us and he expects us even in trials to keep our promises to him. And then we ended last week, I believe, in verses 14 through 16, looking at the wives of Jacob, how they had become these young women, still young uh, by all indications, even after, uh, 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 let's see, 13 years of marriage uh, between the two of them, a week apart, uh, they were married. So even after 13 uh, years of marriage or 14 years of marriage, my math, uh, I forgot to bring my calculator out. So I guess that would have been 14, 13. No, six plus seven is 13. I was right the first time. See, I thought I made a mistake, but, I, you know, once upon a time, I thought I had made a mistake, but I was just wrong about making the mistake. So anyways. These, young, these women are still young, and they had been victims of their father's greed. But they became victors through the blessing that God was pouring out on Jacob. God was not only redeeming Jacob from the clutches of Laban, but redeeming his daughters as well. And it was a reminder that when we allow sin to consume us, it will destroy the relationships that we have even with our own family even with our own children even the parent-child relationship can be severely damaged and sometimes yes even destroyed if sin is allowed to consume one or both parties and so with that um, let's go now again to this new covenant and set the stage and let's read verses 17 and following and look at the flight of Jacob. Jacob then, uh, verse 17, Genesis 31, Jacob rose up and set his sons and his wives upon camels. Remember, these are young kids, right? These are young kids. I used to, I used to be one of those judgmental singles. Why is so-and-so always late to church? She is always late to church. Yeah, well, she had three kids. I got one and I can't do it. OK, I can't get him. I can't get him here on time. So uh, I have I have uh, repented of my judgmental spirit now. And God has uh, taught me a lesson. But can you imagine trying to get all these? I mean, he's got um, uh, 12 kids at this point. He's got the 11 and 11 of them are boys. And you're trying to get 11 boys on camels. And you got yeah, you got servants, but you need them right to get every, to get everybody moving and to uh, pick everybody up. And so they uh, rise up uh, and he, verse 18, carried away all his cattle, all his goods, which he had gotten, the cattle of his getting, which he had gotten and uh, paid him Aram for to go to Isaac, his father in the land of Canaan. And Laban went to shear his sheep and Rachel uh, had stolen the images that were her father's. We'll come back to that in a moment. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban, the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled so he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, and he took his brethren with him. That's going to be an important 
little phrase there. Let's not miss that. Laban gets his posse together to go after Jacob. And he pursued after him seven days journey and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. So Jacob probably maybe maybe thought, man, once I get across the river, once I get to the mountain, I'll be back in my own land. I'll be back uh, in my territory. But seven days of hard pursuit, like something out of a movie with his posse unresting to catch up after a three day head start. And he catches Jacob in Mount Gilead. Verse 24, but God intervenes again. Jacob's plan had failed. He thought, man, if I can get a three-day head start, if I can get across the river, if I get to the mountain, his plan failed. Laban caught up, but God came to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream by night and said unto him, take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. That's, we'll come back to that in a moment. Then Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabrets and with harp? And hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Thou hast now done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take thou heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldst needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? Now let's stop there for a moment. I want you to remember 20 years earlier when they threw a big wedding, a big wedding. And, and listen, weddings are a big deal in our culture, but weddings were not just a, an evening event in this culture. They were a like a week long event. They were like days were invested in the wedding feast and in the wedding celebration. This was not a small event Everybody's there. All of, Jake, all of uh, Jacob's uh, associates and all of Laban's associates are there for that first wedding. And Jacob is the happiest man alive until, he, until the next morning and he realizes, you're not Rachel. What did, and of course now, well, you know, don't get mad at me. It's my dad's idea. My dad, my dad forced me to do this. It, it, this was my dad. Don't get mad at Rachel. This was, this was all dad's idea. What hast thou done? He made a fool of Jacob in front of the whole community, in front of the whole town. All the other men there that were there to celebrate, Jacob was humiliated publicly by his own uncle, now father-in-law. Well, God is going to turn the, the tables on Laban because now Laban is the one who is going to be made a fool of in front of all of his friends, in front of all of his closest companions, all of his posse is there to see now and witness the humiliation of Laban. 
Notice, though, that Laban was warned by God, warned to neither speak ill or speak good. And Laban doesn't really listen, does he? Now, he doesn't physically attack Jacob as he wants to. And there's certainly a strong implication that this was going to be some some Western justice that was, quote-unquote, that was going to be executed literally against Jacob when Laban finally caught up to him. I mean, I'm bringing all of my witnesses and we're going to, we're going to do some, some old school justice to Jacob and I'm going to be able to take my family back and I'm going to be able to take all of his herds that really should be mine. I'm going to be able to take everything back. And so he's got his men there as witnesses to what he thinks is going to happen to Jacob. And God warns him. God warns him. So he doesn't attack him physically. But, but why do you think it was that God didn't want Laban to say anything good either? Remember why Laban was blessed for those first 14 years until he again tried to cheat Jacob. Because God made a promise to Abraham that He repeated to Isaac, that He repeated to Jacob, I will bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee. And God said, Laban, don't you bless him. Why not? Because I don't want to bless you. I'm done blessing you, Laban. I'm done blessing you. So don't you say a word that's good. Now Laban is too dumb to realize that's what God is doing here. He thinks God's holding him back from getting his just revenge. No, God's holding him back from ever being blessed again. That's what God is holding him back from. He tried to attack Jacob. God could have just taken care of that right, right there. God could have sent one of his angels to take care of that. We're going to see the angels, Lord willing, next week that God sends to remind Jacob that God is watching out for him. But Laban is warned by God. Notice also that he's angered by Jacob. I think sometimes we forget just how insidious the sin nature really is. The last person who had a right to be angry was Laban. But see, what happens with sin is when we let it become our God and when it consumes us, we become narcissists. We become self-absorbed. We become so enamored with our view of things that we lose the capacity this is where gaslighting comes in. This is, and by the way, you want a textbook on gaslighting, just read these verses. Laban is gaslighting Jacob, gaslighting his daughters, lying to them about who's at fault and about who has hurt whom and about what has been done. He's just outright lying because he is consumed with self. And so he makes not only false accusations here publicly, and remember, remember, He's not just making them to Jacob and his, in, in front of his daughters. He's making them to Jacob in front of all the men that he's brought with him to witness. To help him get Jacob. And he's making all of these outlandish claims about Jacob's character. He claims that he would have sent him away with blessings and with festivities uh, Jacob's learned, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. 
Jacob has learned after 20 years what a liar his father-in-law is. He doesn't believe that uh, for a moment. But he does get Jacob. He threatens Jacob. He attempts to intimidate him. He implies that he would kill him without God's warning. However, he does kind of accidentally get Jacob to curse his own wife, to curse Laban's own daughter. Listen, he says here that thou hast, verse 30, stolen my gods. And Jacob, verse 31, answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, that's why I ran. For I said, peradventure thou wouldst take by force thy daughters from me. Whither whomsoever thou findest thy gods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me and take it to thee. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them away. Rachel stole Laban's idols. Now what we know uh, about Laban is that he was a pagan. We saw that when, uh, I think it was two weeks ago now, when Laban was, uh, in the Hebrew you can see it clearly, he was, he was actually practicing witchcraft to discern why Jacob was being blessed and he wasn't. Why is my magic not working? Why is he getting blessed and not me? We know he was a pagan. We know he was a wicked man. But idols in that culture, the family household idols, were more than just objects of worship. They were also similar to the deeds of the property. The, the, the worship of false gods was so ingrained into the entire culture that your household ownership rights were tied with the idols that you had in that house. This shouldn't surprise us, by the way. I mean, the very days of our week are named after the pagan gods. The planets are named after the pagan gods. The months of the year are named after the pagan gods. We are living in a, uh, a culture that for a long time had a very strong Judeo-Christian ethic and influence, and so we have sort of lost the pagan history of where even the, the days of the week and the months of the year and, all, and the planets of our soul system, where the, all of those names have come from, and the very real paganism behind the naming of those things. But the idols were more than just objects of worship. She's not taking them because she wants to worship the idols. She's taking them because in her eyes, as a loving wife, her father has tried to take everything that Jacob has earned and fought for and worked for away from not only him and not only her, but her sons. Because interestingly enough, as we get into the story, and we find out what, what uh, Rachel claims here to her father. Given the chronology here, it is almost certain that Rachel at this time is pregnant with Benjamin. Is pregnant with her second son. She named her son Joseph, meaning I know that God is going to give me another one. And God did give her another son. But it's a son that would end up costing her her life. But we have to wonder, as Jacob uttered these words, if anyone has taken anything from you, let them die. If Jacob, knowing not that Rachel had stolen the idols because she didn't tell him what she was doing because she knew that he would try to talk her out of it. And so she was acting, uh, she thought for his own good. Uh, that's uh, just another reminder uh, 
ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes even if we think we're doing something for their own good, we, we still need to communicate with one another. We still need to be honest and truthful with one another. How many of these issues, how many of these marital issues that we've seen in, in the last number of chapters for Abraham and Sarah, for Isaac and Rebecca, for now Jacob and Leah and Rachel, how many of them could have been, if not completely solved, at least resolved through better communication. And so she hides. And so now we see that Laban is not only angry with Jacob, but it is Rachel who is the one who is really frustrating him. Because look at what happens. Verse 33, Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tents, but he found them not looking for these God's looking for these things that had incredible financial value, not just religious value to him. And we know that Laban's all about the straight cash, homie. He's all about the money. And Laban went into the tent. He couldn't find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now remember, he's got a whole entourage going with him, right? Because he's brought all these men as witnesses. He's brought all these men to do the dirty work with him. And he's, and he's made a public accusation. That Jacob has stolen. This is the whole grounds that he's going to attack Jacob. And he can't find what he's looking for. He can't find the evidence. Jacob said, I didn't do it. You guys have known me for 20 years. You guys know my testimony. If you find him, let, where you find him, you kill that person. Because I did not have anything to do with taking In fact, you find anything that belongs to you, Laban. You've accused me. You, you told me I've stolen. You've told me I'm a thief. Fine, you go, you have free reign. You look anywhere you want to look. And if you find it, then I'm guilty. But verse 34, Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tent, but found them not. And she said to her father, let it not displease my Lord that I cannot rise before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. She was very cunning, and put them in the one place she knew that daddy was not going to go. And he could not find them anywhere. So now he is public. He has made an accusation, a public accusation. He is now publicly humiliated in front of all of his friends. And Jacob now is wroth with Laban and chided with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, see, now Jacob is able to he's able to take the temperature of the room now. Now, everybody that Laban has come with has seen that Jacob had nothing to do with taking anything and that Laban can't find a single thing. Granted, his daughter's hiding some things from him, but he has not found a single thing after all this accusation. You got, you have, Laban, you have taken us on a seven-day, hard seven-day journey. And you got squat as evidence to show that he did anything to you whatsoever. And so Laban is now rebuked by Jacob and also, more importantly, rebuked by God. He said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Where hast thou hast searched all my stuff? Where hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren. And thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. Fine. You want a posse? You brought a posse? Let's call upon the posse. 
you, you put whatever I've stolen here in front of everybody and let's see some justice. And he is absolutely, in the eyes of all of Laban's friends, vindicated. And Laban is absolutely, in the eyes of all of his own friends, as, as much as they could be called his friends. They're, Moses here calls them brethren. Um, he is absolutely humiliated. This, Jacob goes on, This twenty years have I been with thee, and thy use, and thy... The page is sticking together here. And thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I have brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou not require it, whereas stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times." Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God has seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. I stand here as a witness, Jacob says, that I have done you no wrong and you have done me wrong. And now it's all in the public record. You cheated me ten times. You tried to. But God, but God, not because I wouldn't take things out of your account, not because if it, the, he's talking about here, the ant when he was shepherding and the animals, wild beasts would come and kill the lambs. Jacob didn't just say, hey, Laban, the, the, the wild beast killed two of your lambs. He's, he said, I'll replace the lambs. It happened on my watch. I will, I will play, replace the lambs, even though he really didn't have to do that. And so he has vindicated himself. This is a guy, remember, remember 20 years before, this is a guy who was a liar and he was a manipulator and he, was, he himself was trying to control everything to get the blessing that, that God had given to him but that Isaac wanted to give to Esau. And God has spent these past 20 years making a man out of Jacob and making him a faithful disciplined, trustworthy man of God. And he gives here all the glory to God. He is afraid. He admits that. But his faith is stirring. And sometimes we just have to learn to do it afraid and just to trust God. And just to remind ourselves of the promises of God. God doesn't promise to take our fear away. Faith is not the absence of the fear. It is the trust that we're going to obey God even when we are afraid. That is when we really demonstrate our faith. If it's easy, how do we know if it's faith? If we know that we can do it, are we really trusting God or are we really trusting ourselves? And so God is going to allow us to be afraid sometimes so that we will show that we are trusting Him for the blessing. Now notice what happens next. Laban is bound by his own word. He has humiliated himself, but he is a narcissist and he is a liar. So what's he going to do? L listen to what happens. Verse um, 43. And Laban answered and said unto Jacob, he's just been publicly humiliated. He's just been put in his place. Jacob has just declared that God has shown 
that Jacob is in the right and Laban has been in the wrong, that Jacob has been trusting in God and that God has been blessing. And what does Laban do? Laban answered and said unto Jacob, these daughters are my daughters. These children, your, your children, right? These children here, these kids, run, they're my children. And these cattle are my cattle. And all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto thee? These my daughters are unto their children, which they have borne. Now, therefore, come now, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. Laban remembers God's warning. That's the one thing he does right. That's the only thing he does right. Is he remembered that God told him, don't you dare say anything negative or good, because I don't want to bless you ever again, to Jacob. And so he asks for a covenant with Jacob. And he names the place, as we'll see, the heap of witness. I, thou, and thee, let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob, verse 45, took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it uh, what he called it. And Jacob called it Galid. Now, Galid is the Hebrew word. Both words mean the same thing. They mean heap of witness. Place of witness. Place where we, where we had all these witnesses there and we made a covenant in the, in the presence of all these witnesses and in the presence of the witness of God. But the fact that he would not call it the same name as his father-in-law shows us that he had broken with his past tradition, with his culture that he had, where he had lived for 20 years, and he's embracing again the culture that he had grown up with, the language of the people of God, and he was making and naming this place in the Hebrew, making a Hebrew covenant, and in so doing, he was tying himself back in with that Abrahamic covenant, that covenant God made with Isaac, and again, that covenant that he made with he with uh, that God made with him with Jacob and verse 48 and Laban said this heap is a witness between me and thee this day therefore was the name of it called Galid and Mizpah for he said the Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another if thou shalt afflict my daughters or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters no man is with us see God is witness betwixt me and thee and Laban said to Jacob behold this heap and behold, this pillar which I have cast betwixt me and thee, which I have cast betwixt me and thee, this heap be witness and this pillar be witness. And I will not pass over this heap to thee and that thou shalt not pass over this heap and this pillar unto me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge betwixt us. And Jacob swear by the fear of his father, Isaac. Then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount and early in the morning. Laban rose up and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned unto his place. Now, Laban remembers the warning, but he never, ever admits his sin and admits his guilt. He continues with his narcissistic lies. He continues to lie and say, oh, no, no. I'm the victim. I'm the saint. Be very careful of anyone 
who every time they tell you a story, they're either the victim or the hero or both. I, I've, I, I don't, I've shared before about uh, someone in a, a previous church where I minister, previous church, every story, uh, he was the hero. Every story I ever heard him, heard him tell, he was either the victim or the hero. Be very wary of someone who is always the victim, always the saint. He even, Laban here even tries to take credit for building the altar that he didn't have a thing to do with. He tries to take credit for everything that Jacob has done and accepts no blame for anything that he has done. He has not learned. He in, continues to insult Jacob. And notice when he, even when Laban swears by the God of Abraham, he doesn't swear by the God of Abraham and Isaac. He leaves Isaac out of this. He's insulting Jacob's father. Remember, God has given the blessing to Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. He, leaves, he intentionally leaves Isaac out, and we know it was an intentional offense and slight because we're told that Jacob added him back in. Jacob understood the covenant that God had made. Yes, he did not have a perfect relationship with his father, but he understood the prophetic role and the covenant role that his father had, and he loved his father, and he wanted to see his father and he includes his father back in this covenant. He swear by the fear of his father, Isaac. And notice Laban not only does that, but he abuses the covenant. How, how does he abuse the covenant? He turns this covenant into a threat and a warning against Jacob. When the devil cannot get you directly... When he cannot get you directly, he will try to get you indirectly. How does he do that? Well, you remember when Balaam was going to curse Jacob's descendants? Balak, the king, said, got this wicked prophet, Balaam, and he said, I want you to curse the children of Israel. And every time Balaam tried to curse, God wouldn't let him curse. He ended up blessing them. And Bala kept getting angrier and angrier. And, ba and Balaam said, God won't, their God will not let me curse them. I can only bless them. And so then he came up with a plan. He said, well, if I can't curse them, I'll trick them into sinning. And then God will do the disciplining for us. God will discipline them. And so that's what Laban's doing here. He's trying to set traps for his son-in-law. So they've set up this, this stone, this, this, this uh, rock at this place. And they made this covenant that we're, we're going to separate now. And I'll, if I cross this, this uh, boundary line with the intent to harm you, then God will see it and he'll judge me. And if you cross this boundary line with the intent to harm me, Jacob had no intention of harming him. Jacob had, what did he have left that he would even want? God had, God had taken it from Laban and given it to Jacob over six years. He, he continues to lie and try to take credit and try to trap Jacob. You ever take another wife? This is what Balaam would do later. But the good news is the blessing of Jacob. God, God sees all of that. That's why God said, Laban, you're not allowed to bless him. And so what does Jacob do? He returns evil 
and gives back good. Laban gives him evil. What does he do? He throws a feast. He returns uh, good for evil. He agrees to the terms. He holds a feast. And the two depart in peace. Sometimes the best thing you can do is depart in peace. Yes, sometimes even with your own family. He's given it 20 years. He gave it a good college try. He has been faithful to God. And this man, yes, he's his father-in-law, but he is a dangerous, narcissistic liar and manipulator. And Jacob says, you know what? I don't really want your daughters around you anymore. I definitely don't want your grandkids around you anymore. You're an ungodly influence. We're just going to go our separate ways. And now that we're kind of agreed on that, we're just going to throw a big old party. Let's celebrate one last time. And that's what he does. And the two depart in peace. So sometimes you just have to forgive and forget and find peace in that. And what men intend for evil, God intends for good. And you forgive and you move on. That's what Romans 12 says. We bless them which persecute us. We bless and curse not. Be not overcome of evil, Romans 12, 21, but overcome evil with good. That is the testimony that Jacob gives for all of us. And Lord willing, next week we'll find out what happens next when Jacob gets back to the promised land, the past behind him, but another part of his past is in front of him, and we're going to see how God uses that to bless him even more. Let's pray. God, thank you for the incredible testimony of this man, Jacob, who, God, you uh, transformed, God, as you love to do, to take ashes and to bring beauty out of them, to take weakness and uh, make strength out of it, God, by your spirit, by your power. And so, God, we uh, pray that as we see your work uh, in the life of Jacob, as we've seen it in uh, the lives of others uh, before him and after him, God, that we are encouraged by your work in us and among us. Uh, God, help us learn these lessons, apply them to our lives, and give you the glory for what you're going to do in us and through us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful. Thank you.